All right, I want you to notice what it says in verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. In this passage, I want you to notice how it mentions that you know it's clear we ought to have a good report with the world. We ought to have a good testimony. We ought to be ready to give an answer. And what I'm talking about tonight is our testimony with the world. Our continuing our Decently and in Order series. And it's kind of a difficult thing sometimes because, you know, we want to have a good testimony as individuals. We want to have a good testimony as a church. We, and, you know, as a church, we want to do all we can to have a good reputation in the community. However, it's often difficult because a lot of the good things that God tells us to do makes us look bad in this world we live in, doesn't it? There are a lot of things that we do as Christians that make us look bad. And it mentions here in this passage, they're going to speak against you as evildoers. And, you know, there's a lot of the trendies that are out there today. They are desperate to be liked by the world and make sure no one thinks negative of them at all. And I want people to like us. I want people to think we're good people. But sometimes being obedient require, it's going to just require people to not like you. You know why? Because we have a wicked world that we're living in and our world is getting more and more wicked. But notice how he mentions in there, you know, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. The Bible tells us, you know, God doesn't want us suffering as evildoers, as busybodies and other men's matters. There's going to be plenty of suffering that we're going to do just for doing wrong, you know, or doing, for doing right. We don't need to add to it by suffering for doing wrong. Y'all see what he's trying to say right here? If we're going to suffer, let's let it be for doing the right thing. If we're going to be hated by the community, let's be hated because we're doing the right thing. But you know, the truth is, in, in Christianity today, and even in the Baptist world today, we are seeing Christians often criticized and hated, but it's not for the good they're doing, it's for bad stuff they're doing. And sometimes even stupid stuff they're doing. And I, I had intended to kind of close out the series tonight of Decently in Order with this message where I'm just going to kind of hit a few things just and I, that I just felt led to hit on. But somebody gave a really good idea for another one we can do, and so I'm probably going to end up doing that. Uh, so, but, um, so we might do one more week of this. But I just kind of wanted to hit a few subjects that I just wanted to hit. Areas where... Churches say they're not judging things properly. They're just not judging things. And hopefully you've learned several things from these sermons. But one of the things I hope you've learned is that as an individual congregation, we have a responsibility to judge some things ourselves. I hope you all have learned that. I hope you have also learned that not everything that we have chosen to do for ourselves is just a one-size-fits-all that every church has to do. I hope you all understand that. That what we choose to do in our situation is not necessarily going to be a perfect fit for every church that's out there. But whatever we have decided to do as a church, God's behind it. 
Okay, unless it's something that violates, you know, a biblical command, God is behind what we're doing, and you ought to support that as a member of this church. So hopefully, hopefully you get all that. But I want us to look at a few things today that I believe the testimony of churches are suffering for today that are bad. Okay, there's there's enough suffering that's going on because of good things that we do. We don't need to be doing bad junk that causes the world to hate us or to think we're crazy that the Bible never commanded us to do. Do you all understand what I'm saying here? There's, there's some things that churches are doing that's making them look bad. And these are not things we've been commanded to do. And we need to stay away from these things. We need to watch out for these things. And so the first one I want to look at, one thing that we don't need to do in churches today that some churches are doing is acting like a bunch of demon-possessed prophets of Baal. It's making us look bad. And you say, what in the world are you talking about? How are people in churches acting like demon-possessed prophets of Baal? Well, let's go and look and see what demon-possessed prophets of Baal look like and then ask ourselves, where is this happening in churches? It says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26, And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. <clears throat> and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure. He sleepeth and must be awake. Notice how Elijah is making fun of these prophets of Baal who are jumping on the altar who are jumping on the altar, who are shouting, who are trying to call down the fire, who are trying to conjure up their God. Okay, he's making fun of them. I, I'm bring, I want to point that out in case somebody makes, you know, gets mad at me for making fun of this exact kind of behavior that's going on in church today. It says, When it came to pass, when midday was passed, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded... So notice, nothing happened. And let me tell you, so you say, where is that going on in church today? It's going on in the camp meeting world and in this revivalistic world of we're going to go and we're going to get together and man, we're going to have us a prayer meeting and we're going to just bring the fire down. We're going to bring the fire down. And what do they do? They go into these churches and they get the music going and, the, and everybody gets all excited. And what do they do? They're leaping on the altar. I was just watching one at Sluter's church. It was hilarious. I mean, they, Sluter and Gene Kemp are both up on the platform and the music's going. And Gene Kemp, he goes and he likes jumps over the one thing and goes back and he jumps into the baptistry. There was no water in there. He jumped into the baptistry. Leaping around. He's running around, jumping around. You know, remember like Luigi on Mario 2? He'd jump and he'd kick his legs. All right, remember that? Kinda, it kind of looked like that. Acting like a bunch of idiots. Just jumping around, and you know, what are they doing? They're trying to bring the fire down. He said, ah, that's not what they're doing. Yes, that's what this means. That's what that means. You're on fire. Alright? And they, can, you know, he, they kept doing that. Come on, you're on fire. And it was, they do that all the time. That was on that camp meeting video I did where they're singing, it's, it's under the blood or whatever. You know, guys are getting going and they're all, you know, you know they're, they're fanning and the flames. Man, we're bringing the fire down. And what are they doing? They're going and they're, leaping on the altars. They're acting like a bunch of maniacs. Where do we see that type of behavior with God's people in the Bible? You don't see it anywhere. But you see it with the prophets of Baal. And let me tell you something. The prophets of Baal greatly outnumbered Elijah. And you know what? That crowd outnumbers us. But you know what? 
we're right, they're wrong, and I'm going to continue making fun of that crowd, just like Elijah made fun of that crowd, because it's funny. Now, it, it didn't continue to get funny. I would have gotten creeped out when they started cutting themselves. Now, it hasn't, I haven't seen it go that far in a camp meeting yet where they're cutting themselves. I'm sure in some of the Pentecostal snake handling ones it's probably happened. But in Baptist camp meetings, I haven't seen it go that far yet. But I don't, folks, I don't see where there's any difference in the behavior of the prophets of Baal. Because why are they doing this? They have these meetings begging for God to just show up and do something. That's what they're wanting. And then they think that because some guys ran around and did some laps and somebody jumped in the majesty, they think God showed up. That's what's so crazy about it. At least the prophets of Baal were smart enough to realize, hey, nothing happened. Now, what went on there, the camp meeting crowd would say the Holy Spirit showed up. Guys were jumping on the altar. They're whooping and hollering, right? That means the Holy Spirit showed up. But even the prophets of Baal weren't dumb enough to think that. Well, it's funny, on that one of those songs, this guy's up there singing, and he's like, I just want to say, and this is what made me think about this too. He's like, what we've seen here tonight, it's holy. And it's in order. That was what he said. And it's in order. Because that's what people will say when they often criticize that type of behavior. Hey, we're supposed to do things decently and in order. And so he's saying, there's people out there watching in the internet world. They're saying this is out of order. I'm telling you, you know, it's just, they don't know what it's like to be the Spirit of God. You know, and he's like basically saying, because they're in a dead church. Like we're a dead church because we don't have people jumping in the baptistry. You know, we're a dead church because we're not running laps. I'm sorry, folks. Where do we see that in the Bible? I wonder how many people they had at their church out souling this afternoon. You know, that, that thing is, I wonder how many people they had souling in their church during that meeting when everybody's running laps in the building. I guarantee you there weren't as many people out souling as there were here today, but nobody ran laps here today. But you know what? People went out with the Spirit of God and they preached the gospel and people got saved today. That's what happened here actually resembles what happened at Pentecost. People got filled with the Holy Ghost and they were filled with boldness and they preached the word. I don't see where they ran around like a bunch of maniacs and we should consider. Now, listen, let me say this about the camp meeting world and the camp meeting crowd. I am not going to stand up here and say that it is always a sin to get a little excited in church, okay? Where where do we draw the line? All right, is it wrong for a guy to stand up and shout? You know, is it is it wrong to lift up your hands? And I'll talk about lifting up my hands in a little bit. But the thing is, I'm okay for some excitement in church. Sometimes I wish we were a little more southern around here. All right, some of y'all you're just a little too Yankee sometimes, okay? But at the same time, you know, not all of that is bad. But sometimes as a congregation, we might have to draw a line. And if it ever gets to where we have women that start screaming in the service, I think we're going to have to judge that situation and say, hey, um, I do remember a verse in the Bible where it talks about women keeping silent in the church. I'm pretty sure a blood-curdling scream isn't silent. If you want to do a blood-curdling scream, you can do it, but you must do it silently. All right? Uh, I don't know how you're going to... go, Go figure that out. Just, But... If that makes you feel better, but you know we might have we might have to judge some things. But here's the thing: we do need to consider how things will look. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter fourteen. It's okay because once again there are some things we have been commanded to do that are going to make us look bad. Preaching a Jesus only way to heaven will make us look bad with the world. 
Preaching on morality, preaching against perversion will make us look bad to the world, but we have been commanded to do that. So we have to do that. But you know what we haven't been commanded to do? We haven't been commanded to run around like a bunch of monkeys in a jungle during a church service. Now, people in different cultures often express themselves in different ways. Okay? And in this, apparently in the South, they're a little more animated than we are in the North. So is it necessarily a bad thing? Okay, If we as a group, if we're by ourselves, we get together... If nobody's going to get offended and we're just like, you know what, man, we're just having us a time and somebody just jumps up on the pew and shouts and, you know, somebody does a lap. I mean, I'm not going to stand here today and say that that's just all necessarily a sin. However, if we were going to do that, I'm going to tell you one, we're not going to live stream that service. Okay, because we've not been commanded to, to do that. And it would look very bad to the world. Okay, and this is not something we've been commanded to do. So I think we are allowed to judge that and say, all right, you know what? We think it's appropriate for guys to run laps during the service as long as women aren't screaming. You know, women can wave their hankies. I you know, like, you know, like doing some church. You know, if we judge that and decide that we're probably not going to do that, we're too Yankee here, I'm pretty sure it's just it's not going to happen. But I'm not going to go as far as saying that's just a total sin. But, I, but if we were to do those things, I think we should consider how it will look. What if we have visitors? Do we want somebody to come walking in the service while we're all running laps? Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine walking into a church while people are running laps? <laughs> I, would, I mean, especially if you weren't familiar with that, okay? Uh, up, uh, you know, down south, people probably think nothing of it. Like, hey, this is, what I, this is what I'm talking about, you know? But up here, <laughs> they're going to start running too, but it's going to be out the door if, if it happened out here. But look what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 22. It says, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad? Okay, now this is talking about tongues here. We don't speak in tongues anymore. But at the same time, notice how he's telling them, take into consideration what you all are doing. Take into consider your practice that you all have in your church and ask yourself, what are those who are unlearned or those who are just unfamiliar? What if an unbeliever comes in? They're going to say you're mad. Meaning, you're crazy. That's what they're going to think. It says, but if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of God of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So he's telling us, you know, take these things in consideration and then when you jump down to verse 40, that's where we get let all things be done decently and in order. And the reason that guy at Sluter's church was saying, it's in order. People are going to be saying it's out of order, but it's in order. Because he knew people are going to be saying it's out of order because people have used this passage many times throughout the years to say, hey, you know, we shouldn't be acting like a bunch of monkeys during a church service. You know, we shouldn't be jumping in the baptistry. That, that's weird. Alright, that's... Maybe running a lap's okay. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go as far as preaching against running a lap. I really enjoy watching people do it. I, I don't really want you all doing it here. But uh, at the same time, I, I really enjoy watching it. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, 
these prophets of Baal, would, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I would be, think it would be safe to assume they were probably demon-possessed. By the behavior, by the fact that they're cutting themselves, and the blood's gushing out on the altar. And look what it says in Luke chapter 8. Well, you don't have to turn them in. Luke 8.33, what happened when Jesus cast the devils out of that demoniac and they went into the herd of swine? They took off running and jumped in the water. Like Gene Kim tried to, there was just no water in the pasture. That's what happened. Gene Kim got possessed with the devil, but got double-crossed when there was no water in the baptistry because, you know, Sluter's not going to baptize anybody in his church. So, you know, that, I think that's what he was trying to do right there. And we've all seen the video where the guy did jump into the baptistry with water when he got filled with spirits during, during a church service. I'm sorry, the behavior, the behavior that we're seeing there looks a lot more like demon-possessed behavior than it does spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-filled behavior. And I think it's okay for us to judge that and say, you know what, in the Bible, I do see people jumping around on the altar, but it was the prophets of Baal. I do see people, when they get possessed with the Spirit, running off and jumping off a cliff into the water, but that was demons. That was not the Holy Spirit. I do see in the Bible when people got filled with the Holy Spirit where they did, with boldness, preach the gospel. So, let's consider that being filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's consider what we saw today, a move of God, and what we see every week, a move of God, instead of that garbage. That, my friends, is out of order, and it looks bad, and that type of behavior is going on in churches, mainly Pentecostal churches, but it goes on in Baptist churches in the Deep South too. And we've got enough stuff working against us when it comes to all the things that we have been commanded to do that makes us look bad like the world, that we don't need to go and put ourselves on display acting like a bunch of maniacs and making ourselves look bad to the world. And if you are, if you are, if, if there's a church that's out there and they're convinced it's okay to jump up on the pews and run laps and all that, I'm fine. But you know what? I would ask them to do, well, uh, yeah, they should not put it online. I sure want them to because I like watching it and I get a good laugh out of it and it makes for some good video footage. All right. Wait till you see my Halloween one I've got coming up. All right. But uh, my scary camp meeting video, uh, it, it, it should be pretty good. I mean, I do appreciate those things, but at the same time, it's like, man, they're making Christians look bad. And it is. It's out of order. I don't care what that guy said. It's, it's out of order, and I don't think we ought to do it. There, there's an appropriate way to praise God, but we're seeing, what we're seeing today, it's more sensual and it's more of the flesh. Okay? So, for example, the lifting up in hands in the church. Because people, you know, have you ever been to a church and you got the people just, you know... And you get uncomfortable. I, I, that makes me uncomfortable. But people say, well, the Bible says lifting up holy hands. The Bible talks about lifting up hands. Okay, but listen. Let, let's, let's think for a little bit. Alright? Let's look at some verses about lifting up hands. Because I do believe it's appropriate to lift up hands in the Bible. The Bible tells us to. But let's see what it looks like in the Bible. Let's compare an actual Holy Spirit lifting up of hands to what we're seeing with the lifting up of hands in churches today. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I think this is pretty simple. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 2.8. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or pearls 
or costly array. Okay, and notice how he he mentions women adorning themselves in modest apparel right after he talks about men lifting up holy hands. Now, why did he bring that up? Okay, well, first off, most of the time in churches today, when you have the raising of hands, it's usually the women. Why is it? Because a lot of times they're the more emotional ones. And but what does it usually look like? When people have their hands, okay? I was telling some people about the As the Deer Lady that we went to a youth conference years ago and whenever they'd sing As the Deer, they'd like go to acapella, you know, and this late she would come walking down to the altar, she would get on her knees at the altar and she'd kind of have her hands up in the air like this. And then like the more dramatic the song got, the higher up she would raise and she'd kind of be like that. And then she'd stay up there until something would happen to kill the spirit. And then she'd walk back to her seat. It was a huge display. She was super famous around there. You could see everybody just waiting for her. Anytime a good, you know, a, you know, a good moving song came. And it was, it, I remember we were sitting in the balcony one night and you couldn't really see the altar. And all of a sudden they started singing as the deer. And you could see people in the back of the balcony trying to, <laughs> they're like all, they're all trying to look down to see if she was there. It was the funniest thing because she was like entertaining everybody. Now folks, we're not, we shouldn't do things in church to draw attention to ourselves, especially ladies. You shouldn't do that. That's not right. And what's funny, that next year, we went to, that was in Kentucky where that happened. We went to uh, South Carolina to the National Sword of the Lord Conference. And during one of the songs, moving songs, all of a sudden, guess who comes as the dear lady? Goes to the front and does her thing. At the all, it was it was so fun. I was like, ah, oh, there she is. You know, I got all excited. I couldn't wait to tell the teenagers when we got back home. I was like, hey, guess who we saw in South Carolina as the deer lady? And there, and it, it was it was the funniest thing. She went up one time. This preacher got up there. He was just one of these real eloquent guys, and he like had all the scripture memorized. And he just went walking up to the pulpit, and he just started quoting scripture. I saw the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and on the back side and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel claiming, who is worthy to open the book? And, and like everybody just started shouting and he's just like quoting scripture and here comes as the dear lady. She comes up, she, she comes up to the front. She's doing her, she's doing her thing. Uh, and, and it was, it was entertaining folks. But you say, well, the Bible talks about lifting up hands. All right, look what it says in Hebrews 12. Because what, okay, what does that look like? Does lifting up hands in church look like this? Or does it look like this? Okay, this is what it looks like. Okay, now you all know what that means. Okay, if you see someone, all right, you know, Jacob, he's probably seen me do this at work. A lot of people work, I've seen it before. Whenever at the end of the day, whenever like the last trip gets called off, Alright, and then you, they'll say, the thing will say, no more trips are available. You know what you're going to see me do? Alright. Okay, now am I filled with the Spirit, or am I just excited that work's done? Alright. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm victorious. Okay? And when you go to a baseball game, when people raise their hands at baseball game, is it this? <laughs> or is it this? Lifting your hands is a victorious thing. Notice how he said in there, when he's talking about men praying, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. When we pray, we ought to have a victorious attitude. Like, man, this is already taken care of. Hey, we prayed for this. This is good. The Lord's going to take care of this. We're excited. Our hands are in the other. We're not, you know... It's not that. Look what it says in Hebrews 12. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Nobody likes being chastened. That's not fun. 
That's not pleasant. That often puts us in a bad mood. But then it says, wherefore, because it's saying, but this chasing, it produces some good things. So he says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So in other words, when a person's down, you know, it's kind of walking like that. You know, you've seen your kids do that before. When you tell them, you know, I sorry, we're not going out for ice cream. It's like, <laughs> okay. But it's like we're going for ice cream. You know, that's what it looks like to lift up your hands. Y'all understand that? What we're seeing in churches today, that is not what the Bible is talking about. It's a sensual thing they're doing. It's a get attention for yourself thing. It's not right. And I don't like it. It's disturbing. We had a long haired hippie that was here not long after we started the church. And we're is at the end of the service, we're singing the final song, we're singing like Have Thine Own Way or something. He was just back there. Just it was weird, man. The guy had curly hair and I was just like I ain't the direction we're going in this church, buddy. <laughs> like, and thankfully he uh he didn't come here too many times. He was a he was a weird dude, but I d I didn't like it. And that what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about lifting up hands, this is a victorious thing. This should be our ad this is how we are. We're not just, you know, down in the dumps, depressed. And you know what else? We're just not swaying and doing stuff like that to draw it. That's sensual. Okay, that's of the flesh. Okay, and the thing is, even that, that's of the flesh, but it's excitement. It's victorious. And the Bible is just telling us we need to have a victorious attitude. And I don't even think necessarily, you know, that verse is just telling us that, you know, when you pray, have your hands up. Okay, you know, that'd be kind of weird if just every time I prayed, I'm like, all right, time to pray. You know, dear Lord, and I, I do it like, yeah. I think what he's trying to get at is, you know what? Be victorious. When you're praying, do it without wrath and doubting. Just, man, Lord's going to take care of this. He's got this under control. We are victorious. We've got our hands raised high. We, you know, we know we're all good. That's what that's talking about right there. So, we need to learn to judge these things. Okay, that's an example. We got we got to look at these things. We got to we got to judge them. We've got to look at what the scripture says. We got to look at what's going on. We got to figure these things out and say, you know what? This behavior that we're seeing in churches today, it is out of order, and we're not going to have that in our church. And if we have somebody that wants to come in here and act like a weirdo, act like a maniac, act like a camp meeting person, you know, we might need to say something. We might need to throw somebody out and tell them tell them to cool it and. That uh, that's just the way it's going to be. So we should make an attempt to not be weird. You understand? We should make it. Okay, it's one thing if God told us to do it and it makes us look weird. But if it's not something we've been commanded to do and it makes us look weird, is there any profit in us doing it? No, there is no profit in us doing it. Let's not do it. Okay, don't do weird stuff. All right, whatever it is. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says we can't, when we get excited, we can't crawl around like an animal in the front of the auditorium. Now, I've seen people do that uh, in videos before. I haven't been in a service where people crawl around yet. My dad was at one one time. He told me about one where a guy did that and he put an offering bucket on his head and started barking like a dog. <laughs> Folks, that's weird. That's out of order. There is no profit in that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that in our church. So, anyway... So that's one thing. So they acting like a bunch of demon-possessed prophets of Baal. That is going on. It's making Christians look bad. It's out of order. We shouldn't be doing that. There's another thing that's going on in churches today. And so these things aren't really related. I'm kind of hitting just a few quick subjects tonight. That go, uh, I, was to, I was attempting to close out this series, but probably going to go one more week. But another thing 
churches are doing that's making them look really bad is they're trying to reform perverts. Now, this has got to stop. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, I wrote unto you in, the, in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Guess what we just saw that we're supposed to do again in this passage? We're supposed to judge. And when we've got somebody that's a railer or a fornicator, all these things that it mentioned right here, we are supposed to judge that as a congregation. And notice what it says. It says, put them out from among you. Put away from among you that wicked person. And notice these things that are mentioned here, these are all things that are not reprobate behavior. These are all things that people can come back from. These are all things that can be restored. We see an example in Corinthians where they told him to put a man out of the church and then in 2 Corinthians, they told him to restore him. Okay? We see, we see that. But notice though, what's going on in churches today, they're never putting anyone out. Ever. And then they will go and no matter the, the most vile of crimes of homosexuality, of pedophilia, whatever, they never throw those people out. They immediately try to reform them, sometimes before they've even confessed. Sometimes before they're even admitting they were wrong, they're going and taking what the Bible has said, you know, sins, the Bible said they've been given over to a reprobate mind, and they've got this delusional idea in their head that they can reform them, that they can fix them. Even though God gave them over to that, yet they think we're going to pull them back from that. And then they have these people in their church and then there's these sex scandals and things that are going on. There's kids being molested in churches. There's women being, uh, you know, molested in churches. And we have, it's making churches look, and it's, this is killing the Baptist church right now. I mean, it's getting out there about just all the scandals, all the perversion, all the cover-ups in Baptist churches. And it is making us look bad. And we've got enough working against us that the last thing we need to be doing is harboring perverts in our church. We need to put them out from among us, is what the Bible says. And they never do that. They, uh, many times in these churches, even when they find out somebody has done some horrible perversion, they never tell the church about it. They don't, they don't get the word out about it. People in the church don't even know. And then they're always surprised when it turns out he did it to somebody else. When, there's a, when another victim pops up, this is killing our reputation. But here's why they're not running off perverts today. This is why, because nobody likes perverts. Nobody likes perverts. But yet, churches aren't running them off today. Now, why is that? Well, first off, they don't want to look bad. Now, listen, this is an example of something that will make us look bad. But did we not see right here where we were commanded to put some people out from among us? Do we not have in the Bible where it says not to cast our pearls before swine? Do we not see that? We, yet, at the same time today, churches are afraid of excluding someone. They are afraid of some, you know, guy that's on a sex offender coming to the church. I've reformed. I regret my past. 
but you know, I want to come and be a part of this church. You know, and then, you know, who are we to judge this pedophile? I'll tell you who you are to judge a pedophile. You're the people who God told to judge a pedophile. And you need to put him out from among you. You know, the, and you have these. You know, why would a homo want to come to a church? Okay, but they do not so much because they like what we do and they want to be. It's because they want to blend into every area of society. It's not even always because they're looking to molest or hurt somebody in the church. It's just because they want to try to be accepted in every area of society. And a lot of times too, they want. If, you know, any homo that would want to come to our church, it would just be because. They were wanting us to throw them out so they could turn around and make us look bad. But you know what? I don't think we're looking bad by keeping perverts out of our church. I think we're looking bad by harboring perverts in the churches. And that has got to stop. But they don't want to look bad. But you know what? We've been commanded to do that. So let's look bad. All right? Let's go ahead and look bad. Because if it's for something we've been commanded to do, we'll be rewarded. But we cannot afford to look bad over things that we have been commanded not to do. And it is, it is going to hurt us a lot worse. I would rather have the reputation of the church that doesn't let perverts in than the church that's full of perverts. I don't want that reputation. That will kill us if that happens. But a lot of times, too, another reason they won't throw them out, they don't want to offend the tithers in the church. Oh, well, now that guy gives money. Or, you know, his dad gives money, is a big giver in our church. So they're not going to throw anybody out because they know if they do, it'll hit them where it hurts in the pocketbook. That is out of line. You know what? you got to do the right thing. Another reason, too, they're, they're trying to fix perverts is because some of these pastors are extremely arrogant and think they can fix anybody. They're that full of themselves. You know, they're the guy that can reform everyone. But let me, and I, I've said this before, I want to say this again. This is just a fact. Pastors often bring in, they like bringing in fallen pastors into their church because it's a status symbol. Look what it says in Judges chapter 1. Now, folks, I have been around preachers my entire life. My family is full of Baptist preachers. I know this crowd like the back of my hand. I know why they do the things they do. Okay? And I, I'm, I, what I am telling you right here is just a brutal fact. It is a status symbol to have a fallen pastor in your church. Look what it says in Judges 1, 6. But Adonai, Adonai fled and pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. Now, why would you do that to somebody? You do it to humiliate them, right? So these kings, these other kings... When you would conquer them, they would cut off their thumbs and great toes. And look what it says. And Adonibazek said, Three score and ten kings, seventy, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, as I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. This guy had seventy kings eating the crumbs under his table. Why did he want them there? Why did, why did he need them there? So whenever his buddies come around, his enemies come around, right there, king of this place, king of that place. Look, they're my servants. I conquered them. And you know what? Whenever a pastor falls, especially a big name pastor, there are other guys out there clamoring to get that guy. And I'm telling you, as soon as Jack Scott gets out of prison, 
there's going to be pastors clamoring to get the great Jack Scott who pastored the mega church. There's going to be all kinds of guys. Oh, man, I hope we can get him in our church. You know why? So they can strut around. I'm the guy that's going to fix Jack Scott. I'm the guy that Jack Scott, who pastored the biggest church in, you know, in the world, is going to, you know, he's coming to me to be his pastor, and I'm the one that's going to fix it. It's a status symbol. And my money's on Greg Neal. I think Greg Neal's going to get him. Hey, and Greg Neal's, his church is full of perverts, full of, full of fallen guys. He's a fallen guy himself, and it's a status symbol for these people. If you can, if you can get the big names, and when they couldn't make it, they couldn't do the right thing, the devil got them. But you know what? The devil didn't get me. And you know who these guys go to whenever they get taken down by the devil? They come to me to help them out. And the truth is, some of these guys are bad, nasty, dirty perverts that have no business ever being in the house of God again. And yet, they're going to bring them in to their churches. Why? So they can look good. So they can look like super Christian. And that kind of thing is wicked. And I believe that's why um, Saul spared Agag. When you go over to 1 Samuel 15, why didn't you kill Agag? I'll tell you why Saul didn't kill Agag. He wanted him as one of his servants. So he could show all the other kings, hey, look who's serving me. You guys probably better not want to mess with me. I'll take over your kingdom and you're going to be my servant. You know, I'll cut off your thumbs and your big toes. Make you walk around looking weird like that. Eating crumbs under my table. It's a status symbol. And folks... You, these pastors have no business allowing people like them into their churches. That is wrong and it's making churches look bad. Whenever they do, these guys, they're going and they're molesting someone else in the church and then it finally hits the news. It makes the national headlines and then they're finding out this guy had a whole history of sexual abuse and it was covered up and it was covered up. Folks, you can't do that. There's some people that can't be fixed. And and we we've seen it. I mean, a guy that I knew out in Peoria, he I mean, the guy was a pervert, molested girls in the church as an older teenager. His dad, who was the pastor, knew about it. His dad counseled like three other pastors, I believe it was, and they said, "Don't turn him in. You don't want to ruin his life." And and, and I can imagine a pastor not wanting to turn his son in. I can, you know that's I I can get that, but I can't imagine these other pastors saying you don't want to ruin his life. So you know what they they did? They restored him, somebody who they should have known better than to restore. And you know what? He ended up marrying a good girl, had a bunch of kids, and was molesting boys in the youth group. Full blown sodomite. And thankfully he's sitting in prison today. But that's just one more case of a pervert loose in Baptist churches making us look bad. And boy, I'm telling you, these pastors, and I found out who one of the pastors was that helped cover it up. And his church that he was from is full of perverts. Just, I mean, full of perverts. And that's a story that's not really mine to tell, but I wish somebody would tell that story. You know, I'm careful about relaying secondhand stuff, so I'm not going to name the names. But if I did, if I had the facts on that, I would expose that thing like you wouldn't believe. And it's not my place in that situation, but I wish those who did know would sing like a nightingale. Because that kind of thing is wicked. We cannot afford that reputation. 
We've got enough challenges working against us, trying to have a good testimony in a wicked, messed up, perverted world that the last thing we need to do is have a reputation that we're harboring perverts in our church. And that is, that is killing And We've got to judge these things. We, and sometimes things aren't spelled out. I talked to a pastor one time. He had somebody who was on a registered sex offender list that would come to his church. And it was one of those... And in this situation, the guy, you know, he, he told me what it was. And to me, I was like, yeah, that guy's a full-blown pedophile. There was like a big age difference. You know, I said, cause I said you know, if it was like an 18-year-old with a 17-year-old, that doesn't exactly equal pervert right there. Sometimes we have to judge those things. But it's high time churches get to, in these situations, sometimes they're going to have to look at it. And they're going to have, you know, you can't just go off of what the government says is a registered sex offender thing because they're telling five-year-old autistic boys who hug kids that they're sex offenders. I don't know if you heard that story. But sometimes, too, you know, they're not labeling homos sex offenders. So the thing is, because we can't trust our world, we have to judge these things. And we might have to declare someone a pervert and a pedophile. And we might have to say, as a congregation, they can't be here. And that is our place to do that. And we must do that. And when we don't, we are doing a disservice to our church. And we are hurting the name of Christ. We are hurting the name of Baptist. And we can't have that anymore. It's high time we get back to judging and having some order in how we do things. And just saying, no perverts allowed. That's all, that's all there is to it. And so look what it says. Uh, so turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So la- last thing, I'll, I'll do this real quick. And I want us to think about this right now because of the, our situation that we're into trying to buy another building. I think this is something that we need to keep in mind. But 1 Corinthians 4 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A steward. Okay, That's somebody who is in charge of something that belongs to someone else. And you know one thing that's killing churches today or killing the reputation is churches getting in financial trouble. Churches, that is, you know, it is, it's sad how hard it is for churches to get loans today. You know why? Nobody wants to loan to churches. You know why nobody wants to loan to churches? All oh, it's because they're trying to, you know, hold up the work of the Lord. No, it's because you can't trust them. It's because they're the first ones to often just fail and, you know, and paying the debts that they owe. They're the first one. They mean just they do not even care about their reputation. And some of the stories I've heard about just crooked financial dealings that churches have done, it makes me sick. Greg Neal's another example of that too. His church, I think it's Emmanuel Baptist Church now, it did have another name. But because of the scandals of him getting busted for being a pervert, they had to go and pretty much bankrupt the church, change the name of the church. It's still the same church, but legally they changed names. Why? To get out of all the debt that they owed. You know how wrong that is? Do you realize they hurt every church in that area when they did that? I, that bank that they used, I guarantee you, the next church that came along and maybe wanted to work with that bank, they're probably like, we don't want to work with you. Because they don't trust churches. Why? Because of Greg Neal. Because, because of his church. And we've got to understand, churches today, they, they have the worst reputation. It says in uh, Luke 14.28, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, 
all that behold it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Y'all see that? It looks bad when you start something and you can't finish it. And I remember early 90s, in the early 90s, around the time that we were uh, building a new auditorium, when I, when I was at Lighthouse, I remember when we started building that auditorium, there was a lot of people saying, you're not going to get it done, it's not going to get it finished. And you know why they said that? Because there was another church, it was called Midwest Cathedral at the time, I don't know what it's called now. Brother Josh, you probably know it, right there, off of exit 77, on Interstate 80, there is a metal frame of a church that's been sitting there, like since the early 90s. A metal frame, just sitting there. A horrible testimony to that church. That church changed its name several times too. This church has a horrible reputation. Why? Because it's got this building sitting there. It's got the shell of a building sitting there that hasn't been finished. I think there's another one like that in Rockford on Route 2. Has anybody seen that one? That, that building has been sitting there like the shell of that. I haven't been up there in a while. Maybe something's changed. But it's just like the shell of a building, a huge building, just sitting there empty, nothing being done. You know why? Because they didn't. they ran out of money. They didn't count the cost of what they were doing. And I guarantee you, some bank got ripped off somewhere. So that's the bankers. They're all a bunch of, you know, thieves. Well, so, you know what? So what? We shouldn't steal from thieves. We shouldn't steal from crooks. We're supposed to be better than them. You know, we should actually follow thou shalt not steal. Okay? Those Jewish bankers, they don't follow the Ten Commandments, but we do. And we're not even going to steal from them. We need to count the cost of what we're doing. And this type of thing is killing churches. There are churches out there today, you know, the plumbers don't want to work with them. Why? Because other churches are always ripping them off. And I have, I've had business owners that have told me, man, churches are, they don't want to do business with churches. They don't pay their bills. We've had people that we've done business with before that when they've done some work, they want us to pay it all up front. You know why? Because they don't trust us to pay it ahead of time or to pay it after the fact, not because of anything we've done, but because of what other churches have done. That's pretty sad that churches have that attitude. Churches that represent Christ are going and doing business with people in their community and they're ripping them off. They're not paying their bills. They're not fulfilling their obligations. We should never do that. But you know what? They always do it. They always do it in the name of faith. You know what? We, just, we need to get that building. You know what? We just, we're just going to do it. You know, we're going to sign the papers, we're going to run up the debt, we're going to buy all the stuff we need, we're going to run up the credit card, we're just going to pray the Lord, we're going to pay the bills for us. No, we're going to count the cost is what we're going to do. We're going to count the cost, we're going to come up with a plan, we are going to judge whether or not this is something that we feel that we can do. Oh, you're just not trusting in the Lord. No, what we have is the Lord's. We have been commanded to be faithful stewards with what the Lord has gave us, and we are not going to be irresponsible with it because it's not ours and it's not just our name that we're going to be ruining if we go and we get over our heads and we go and you know start ripping people off we are going to hurt the cause of Christ and you know what we're even going to hurt every other church that's in this area if we do that and we don't have any right to do that but yet that kind of thing is going on and it you know what it's bad in this area there are churches today some bigger churches in this area that are in foreclosure right now. I know of churches that are majorly in debt right now. One of the Catholic churches right over there in Sterling by 
uh, County Market. I was walking by, I was out sewing one time, this was a few years back, and I'm walking by there, and there was this big um, foreclosure notice thing or the, that they put on the building. I don't know if they were going to like try auction the place off or whatever. And I'm thinking, what, you know, what a horrible testimony. No wonder it's so hard to get a loan these days for churches. That kind of thing is wrong and we've got enough working against us that the last thing we need to do as a church is go ripping people off in town. And we shouldn't do that. We better be responsible. We better take these things serious. Many financial problems are gained by what they think is stepping out on faith. But you know what? There is no reason that when it comes to our finances that we can't do things decently and in order. That we can't practice a little common sense and be honest. And you know what? Set an example for people in the church. I hope you're not out there ripping people off. I hope you're not out there not paying your bills and fulfilling your obligations. Well, the last thing we need to do is set that example as a congregation. You know, do it as a church, as a congregation. That's just going to embolden you all to be crooks and ripping everybody off. And then that's just going to hurt the cause of Christ even more. God's not going to be pleased with that stuff. And you know what? Don't fall for these stories these preachers always tell of God's provision. Now we just went out. We just gave, we just went out and asked for the biggest loan the bank would give us, knowing God would provide. I just went out one day and decided we need to build this new building. We ain't got the money for it, but I'm just going to go out there. And I went out there with a the shovel and I just started digging. I started breaking ground myself. Before I knew it, people were just stopping by giving me money. I've heard those stories before. Apparently that happened one time. A guy did that. He just, he just went and started breaking ground with the shovel all by himself before he knew it. Some guy drove up and gave him a check. I don't know. Probably didn't happen. Might have happened. But either way, you know, should we go out and take a shovel and just start breaking ground? You know, folks, we ought to practice some common sense. And while you have that success story that happened a hundred years ago that everyone has told, Okay, and no one was there for You know, we have several failure stories that we know of firsthand of people who did that same kind of junk right here in our town. So we're not going to do that kind of stuff. We're not going to listen to these stories. We're not going to let the camp meeting preacher come in here and get us to run up our credit cards, you know, and give it to the church, you know, on faith. That's not responsible. That's not doing things in order. And so, you know, in conclusion of this message, I just want to say that, you know, as a church, we need to take our role as the church of Christ serious. We need to take our behavior serious. We need to realize people are watching what we do and God expects us to make judgments. God expects us to make decisions and He expects us to do these things right. And He expects us to do them decently and in order and we need to take into consideration whatever we do, how is this going to look to the world. How is this going to look? Because we do. We care about our testimony and if we're going to suffer, we don't want to be as an evildoer. If we're going to suffer, we will. Let's let it be because we're doing what God told us to do. And God never told us to rip anybody off. God told, never told us to act, run around the church like a bunch of maniacs during the service, acting like the prophets of Baal and demon-possessed swine. God never told us to do that. God, God never commanded any of those things. God never commanded us to reform perverts and bring in perverts and harbor perverts. God told us to put away the evil out from among us. God told us to purge out the leaven. If we're going to get in trouble, let's get in trouble for what God told us to do. And then we have His blessing. Then we have His protection. But if we're going to get in trouble for stuff that we have, you know, that we did that was wrong, now we've got the world working against us and we've got God working against us too. And we can't afford that. 
So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. I pray, Lord, You'll help us to follow these things. Help us to uh, consider our actions. Help us to judge what we do as a church. And help us to remember that we represent You. And help us to be a good example and have a good testimony in our community. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.